Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop, which is taking place on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer to sign up. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to identify simple solutions and systems that will make a massive difference and ripple effect inside of your center. I'm going to help you create efficiency where you need it most and understand what is causing your school to feel so hectic and where those big pain points are. We're going to clarify your center's priority system to improve this summer. I'm going to show you how to audit those systems. We're going to define your desired outcomes, and you're going to leave the workshop with a simple plan that will make huge impact. And by simple, I mean very simple. No complex, no multi-step processes. Super, super simple. No one has time for long things. No one has brain capacity for extra stuff. We need simple things that have massive impact. Go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer, and I'll see you there. Welcome to the Schools of Excellence podcast, where we have conversations about education, leadership, and building a school of excellence. The goal on this show is to bring you clarity, up-level your mindset, and give you practical strategies and inspiration so you can show up with confidence and trust your decision-making. I'm Khani Wolshansky. I'm a mom of four under 10, a former New Yorker, and been in the early childhood field my entire life. And I'm so grateful that you've joined me for this conversation. Hey there. So this is part two of our distress tolerance training. Last week, I introduced you to this concept of distress tolerance, um, how to navigate it as a school leader. And so today's episode is going to be how to design a distress tolerance toolkit for your staff. So in this episode, we're really going to understand how uh, creating a stress resiliency toolkit for your staff for your leadership team to help give them the tools that they need to actually succeed inside of the classroom. So what is a stress resiliency toolkit, right? What is it? Well, it refers to a collection of proactive and in the moment strategies to help your staff and your leadership team manage stress, emotional discomfort, and maintain emotional regulation in their daily interactions with children and colleagues. So childcare professionals are faced with tons of emotional challenges throughout the day and lots and lots of emotional discomfort in their roles. And if we understand how to recognize it and address these really, really critical feelings um, and things that happen, we can really create a much healthier and nurturing environment for the children. And that's what we want. Let's dive into what is a resiliency toolkit, right? What is this? So let's first understand the concept of accepting distress, okay? We have to understand that the nature of distress is inevitable. It is part of the human experience. Getting stressed out and overwhelmed when you are working with young kids is part of the human experience. So when you get stressed out and overwhelmed, it's not asking yourself like, oh my gosh, I've been a teacher for so many years. Why am I getting stressed out? Oh my gosh, I've been a parent for like 30 years. Why am I getting overwhelmed when this happens? Yeah, because you're human and you're not a machine, and that's why you're getting overwhelmed, or that's why you're feeling a moment of stress. It's not about, I shouldn't get overwhelmed. It's, what do I do when that happens? Such an important distinction, 
right? Really important distinction because if we don't accept distress and discomfort as part of the human experience and we fight it and we think we're not supposed to be experiencing that, you're constantly living in a state of even more stress because every time you feel it, you judge and blame and shame yourself that you're experiencing that to begin with. And this goes especially for young staff, especially for new leaders, right? Even when you have a teacher who's been a teacher for 20, 30 years, but you promote them to a new position of leadership, they are going to experience this and they are going to experience high levels of shame and blaming themselves and guilting themselves that they're getting overwhelmed when really, hi, that's part of the job right? You're not supposed to have it together all the time. Like you're really, really not. It's one of the massive paradoxes of success. One of the massive paradoxes of humanity, which is a whole separate podcast episode, which I'll do one day. So that is really, really important, right? We have to understand that it's part of the human experience. So how do we build this toolkit? Well, let's start with understanding what the onboarding process can look like, right? And I'm going to give you some perspective, some invitations to relook at how you onboard your staff. Now, there are dozens of trainings on how to onboard staff, on how to create the best SOPs and the best processes. This is not what today's episode is about at all, at all. This is not a systems podcast episode. This is a specific training on how to bring emotional and resiliency toolkits into your existing onboarding. Okay, so whatever your onboarding is, I'm sure it's fantastic. I'm going to invite a new perspective or a new addition to your already existing, probably stellar onboarding system. So when staff get onboarded, one of the things that happens in onboarding is we dedicate a lot of time to the tactical mechanical to do's of being inside of the classroom. How do you clock in? How do you sign up? How do you change the baby's diaper? How do you warm up the bottle? How do you do this? How do you do that? How do you actually sit at the circle time? How do you leave the circle time? How do you sign in a parent? How do you clock out a parent? How do you use kangaroo time? How do you use this software? How do we log in this? How do you, uh, you know, clock in for payroll? How do you submit a receipt, right? All the technical and mechanical to do's of being a teacher. We spend a lot of time on that. Then we go into purpose and mission and what our company values and who your mentor teacher is and who this is and you know where the building is, where the front entrance is, where the back entrance is, where to park, where to not park, what the legal holidays are, what your PTO is, all the things, right? I could do a whole episode on just all the things that go into onboarding, right? It's really overwhelming. And here is something that is often left out. How are you going to deal with overwhelm inside of the classroom? We don't talk about that because we're afraid that that's going to like drive people away. So I often talk about how so many leaders cushion discomfort, right? We kind of try to bubble wrap our staff in like, it's going to be amazing. And the kids are so cute and it's such a great age and you have such a great mentor teacher and you're going to be working with such a great co-teacher, right? And we cushion, cushion, cushion all the stuff, which is great. It's very important to like get people excited. And please, please focus on the realities of working with children that it could be really stressful and kids can sometimes really trigger you and they could sometimes be really annoying. Um, and they can ask you the same question over and over and over and over again, or they can do the same mistake over and over and over and over, and over again. And sometimes your colleague can have a very different work ethic than you. And sometimes a very different personality or dress very differently than you or think differently than you, or, you know, have a different faith than you or have a different political viewpoint than you or vote differently than you or love differently than you. Right. And it's like, whoa, one second. How are we going to deal with all of that? Because if you think that none of that comes up in the childcare day, you are living in a different planet. All of those things come up throughout the day. All of those things. There is no such a thing as saying, well, just check everything at the door. What, what world is that from? I am the same human that is walking into the door, right? What do you mean check it at the door? 
So there are certain things that we do want to check at the door. And then there are certain things that just come with us, right? Our emotions come with us. You can't say like, oh, you had a really hard morning. Just leave it at the door. Don't bring the hard morning in with you. Okay, but how do I actually do that? How do I not bring the fight that I had with my husband this morning into the classroom? How do I not bring my emotional discomfort that I could not get my two-year-olds to get their shoes on and they all went to school with like no clothes and like mismatched whatever socks? Like, how do I deal with that before I get inside of the classroom? We talk a big game as leaders and we say things like, just leave it at the door. Just do this. Just do that. Just make sure you're always smiling. Fix your face. Just okay. And how and how, please. We spend hours and thousands of dollars obsessing over every system and process of how do you click and what do you do? And we're updating. We're like all the tactical to do's on how to do all of this stuff. And we send Almost zero time on, okay, but how do you check your emotional baggage at the door? How do you navigate the distress when the child looked at you and called you a poopy face, right? How do you actually deal with that? Oh, just laugh it off. Oh, they're just three-year-olds or whatever it is. Yeah, being called a name can be incredibly dysregulating for some people incredibly dysregulating, even if it's coming from an innocent three-year-old. It doesn't matter. It could be incredibly dysregulating for some people. Do they know how to regulate themselves back to a calm state? Or are they going to spew hate at that kid the rest of the day and be passive aggressive at them? Because I've seen that. I've seen that. And I know you have also. So how are we actually building an environment and a culture where staff can actually do this, right? I've said this so many times on my YouTube channel, on my podcasting, when I do events, when I speak at events, when I talk to people one-on-one, teachers do not rise to the level of the company goals, the mission, the vision. They never rise to that. They will always fall to the quality of their habits and routines, period. Okay, let me say that again, really slow, so you can write it down or you can press pause or you can pull over the car. Teachers do not rise to the level of the company goals or the level of the company standards or whatever. They never rise to that. They always fall to the quality of their habits and routines. So if they have super high quality habits and routines, great, then that's where their quality of habits and routines are going to be. But do not think that your staff are going to rise to the SOP and the process or whatever it is that you created as best practice because you decided that that's best practice and you gave them a training and vomited all this information at them. They are not going to rise to that. We always fall to the quality of our habits and routines and our rituals and who we are as people. So we need to look at this from a different perspective. What is the emotional resiliency toolkit that builds appropriate habits and routines in our staff so that they can rise to the level of their habits and routines? Are we teaching them these incredibly simple but very critical components of being inside the classroom and understanding like the humanity of working with young kids and with other people, right? They're not just working with kids. They're also working with other grownups who are very, very different than them, who've had very different experiences in life, who've had very different upbringings than them. And this is like really complex for some people, super complex. So in the onboarding process, we want to be asking questions like, how do you currently navigate stress? What do you do when you're overwhelmed? Whenever I interview someone new inside of my company and I ask them this question, I've had a couple of times people say things like, oh, I don't really get overwhelmed. I don't hire those people. I'm going to say that again. When someone tells me that they don't get overwhelmed, I don't hire them. Here's why. Either they are grossly unself-aware of the fact that 
all humans have moments of overwhelm and how quickly they bounce back from that is a different conversation. Or they have lived in complacency and their comfort zone for so long that they've never been overwhelmed because they never push themselves out of their comfort zone. In that case, no, thank you. I don't want you on my team because we value excellence, which means I'm going to push your physical, mental, and emotional limits all the time, all the time. So if you're building an organization, right, you're building a school and you are enrolling staff who tell you, I don't get overwhelmed. Okay, I don't understand. Like, have you ever worked with children? Do you know how kids like trigger us? Have you worked at the same age group for so many years? Do you know that we do things differently than here? Like overwhelm and moments of stress are part of the human experience. I can't say that enough in, in today's episode and last week's episode and every episode, right? So when people say like, I don't get overwhelmed and they think that they are like, you know, posturing that they're like an amazing person. No, you're not. Um, You're actually really not self-aware or you've never pushed out of your comfort zone. Those are the two things that tell me that you never get overwhelmed as opposed to saying, yeah, I do have these moments of overwhelm or like kind of like, whoa, one second. And this is what I do. I take a breath. I do this. And I'm going to, I'm going to go over some strategies here, right? Elite performers, Olympians, athletes, all those people, you think they don't get overwhelmed. You think they don't get stressed. You think they don't second guess themselves. They know how to move through fast, whip fast because of training right? Because they have their habits, their rituals, their routines that they lean on that move them through that cycle so rapidly, right? That is an Olympian, right? Those are champions. Well, you want to raise and cultivate, sorry, not raise. You want to cultivate a culture of Olympians. You want to cultivate a culture of champions of people that know how to do this. Great. Let's teach them. Let us teach them how to do this. So asking, how do you navigate stress? How do you navigate overwhelm? How will you communicate with your co-teacher when you are feeling, well, that was a lot. What will be your regular check-ins with your co-teacher? Because here's what we need to understand, okay? Working on a team is not just about fairly, which I hate that word, fair, uh, dividing. There's 15 kids, so we each change seven and a half diapers. Uh, There's X amount of kids, so we each do X, Y, and Z, right? We fairly divide, you know, the labor of the classroom. That's not what being on a team is about, okay? Being a team member is having someone's back when they need it. Being a team member is lifting the other person up and complimenting them, right? Not just saying thank you for doing this, but actually saying, hey, I appreciate you noticing that I needed the scissors at that specific moment. And you just went and got it for me without me asking for it. That was so helpful in keeping a calm moment with the kids at the art table communicate to your co-teacher why you're grateful for them. These are powerful resiliency strategies to put in your toolkit, right? How will you compliment one another when the other person supports you? How will you communicate to the other person that you need a breather, that you need a five, that you need to take a break, that you this is beyond you right now? How will you communicate that, right? How will you let your co-teacher know, your teammate, I'm drowning. I need you. Or I'm just about to go under capacity, right? These are powerful conversations to have when you onboard a new team together. When you bring a new teaching team together, let them have those conversations. Let them have those conversations together. And you can facilitate it, right? If you feel like they're not capable of having it on their own, right? Another powerful thing to add to your onboarding is depending on what age group they're teaching, What will be your uh, self-soothing strategies 
when you're working with the infants, with the toddlers, with the three-year-olds, with the fours, with the middle school age, whatever age they're working with, okay? If you think that working with middle schoolers doesn't require you to self-soothe at certain points throughout the day, please walk into a seventh grade classroom for three hours. You're welcome. Anytime you are teaching children, I don't care how old the children are, okay? Even if you're going in and you are leading adults, we need to know how to regulate and self-soothe after an experience, after a moment. Communicate with them. Do you have what you do when the babies cry? Do you have what you do when this happens? Like, how do you respond when you're sitting down and a child, you know, is newly toilet trained and they have an accident on you? Like, how do you want to respond? Right. And then you practice it with them and you role play that with them. You want to know what mentor teachers should be doing with their new hires? That role playing, role playing through how to deal with stressful situations. We spend hours on curriculum. Like most of the time when I see mentor teachers working with young staff, it's about curriculum. It's about lesson planning. It's about what to teach the kids, what else to stuff down their throats. I'm telling you guys, like teach less, stop focusing so much on lesson planning and have your mentor teachers mentor your young staff on how to regulate their nervous systems when they are working with kids, when they are trying to round 18 three-year-olds from the playground, which is, I don't know how many square feet, and you're trying to pull everyone together. How do you do that? How do you do that in a calm voice? How do you do it when the kid says, you can't catch me, nan, 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 and they go hides in the slide, right? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when that happens? Because let me tell you, if you teach four-year-olds, that will happen. That will happen. Someone will do that. Someone will tease you. Someone will go hide. Someone will go pee in the bushes. It's happened. I've been in the classroom for 10 years. All of these things have happened, right? What are you going to do when that happens? What are you going to do when you have 17 kids lined up and everyone's ready to go and you're missing one kid? right? Who's responsible for going to find the kid? Are you taking the class in? Is your co-teacher waiting? Are you waiting? And she's taking the class in? Who's doing it? Guys, this is stuff that really happens on a day-to-day basis. And I know because you're listening to this and you're laughing and you're smiling and you're nodding and you're probably even crying and saying, my God, how does she know what's happening inside of my classroom? I know because I've been in the classroom. I've been a teacher. I've been a director. I've been an executive manager. I have four of my own kids. I go to schools all the time. I see what happens. All of this happens and teachers are so ill-equipped to deal with them. And they think that they need another tip and another trick on how to control and manipulate the children's behavior. You don't. You need to know how to manage yourself in that moment. That is what you need. That is what you need. So number one, some grounding exercises, right? How you start the day is critical. When you come into the classroom, in your shift, whether you're morning shift, afternoon shift, evening shift, whatever shift, if you have shifts, or if you're there for the whole day, or you're there for half a day, or what, whatever, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many hours you're in the classroom or what time of day you walk in. Grounding yourself. Grounding yourself. What are grounding exercises? There's so many, right? You could do a meditation. You could do Vegas breaths, which is four, four breaths in, four breaths out. You could Google Vegas breaths. I don't need to teach it to you here, right? Do grounding exercises that ground your body and bring you into the present moment before you step foot into that classroom. Now, so many people tell me, my teachers don't have time to do that. They have to just walk right into their shift. Okay, well, what if you change that? What if you said, hey, when you come in, before you start your shift and you're paid for these three minutes or two minutes, to ground yourself. So before you walk in, I want you to ground yourself with a meditation or with a breath. 
It sounds really silly, but let me tell you, breathing's really powerful. Breathing's really powerful, okay? Deep breathing brings relaxation and stress reduction, okay? So grounding and deep breathing. What else should be in their toolkit? Distraction techniques. So in the same way that when we teach young toddlers and, you know, they separated from mama and they're crying, uh, we distract them with fun things, right? We're like, oh, come, let's go sit at the sand table, right? And we start to play with them at the sand table. And then, you know, they forget that mama left and they're doing okay inside of the classroom. So we do diversion strategies with young kids all the time. Did you know that you could do it for yourself also? You can divert attention from distressing thoughts and emotions. So when you are experiencing stress, right? Stress meaning, oh my gosh, it's 12.35. She was supposed to be here at 12.30. She's still not here. My lunch break is being cut. Um, oh my gosh, it's 8.30. She's late again. I'm going to have to, you know, do morning arrival on my own, okay? Um, or you're leading a staff meeting and two people are in the, you know, back talking and they're still talking even if you ask them to stop, right? And so you start to have these distressing thoughts of like, oh my gosh, I'm not respected here. I'm not valued. No one wants to hear what I have to say. Um, I can't control this place. Um, I'm not going to have, you know, enough time to eat my lunch. I need to check in with my husband. I need to check in with my child who's not feeling well, right? And monkey, right? All the monkey thoughts, all the chatter brain starts going woo down the drain over there and you start spiraling really, really quickly, Okay. Here's a great strategy to have in your resiliency toolkit, distraction techniques. How will you be diverting attention from what you're experiencing in this moment and re recalibrating yourself and distracting what you're currently experiencing to something more to something more coming, to something more present, to something more just feels better on your body, okay? That's another strategy. What else? Problem-solving strategies, okay? Problem-solving strategies are... Uh, really underrated <laughs> inside of the classroom. So what I mean by problem solving, um, actually problem identifying is a better word for it, is when the teacher is experiencing something that feels really problematic or whatever it is, it's asking a simple question. Is this the problem that we need to solve? Right? What is the problem here? What is the problem that we actually need to solve right now? That pause brings the answer. The answers come in the pause. They do not come in the frantic energy. They do not come in the stress. They do not come in the anxiety. They do not come in the overwhelm. They do not come in the distress. They don't come in any of those places. They come in the pause, in the quiet. So take the pause, right? Take the pause. Okay, let's go a little bit further. One of the things that happens a lot when we are in distressful moments is we make really, really poor decisions. And so another thing that I want you to add to the resiliency toolkit for your staff are how to make decisions under stress, right? Again, it sounds so simple, but these things are not taught and they need to be, which is why I'm doing this episode, right? So how do we enhance decision-making skills under stress? A couple of things. Number one, self-awareness. Having the self-awareness to recognize I am in a moment of stress. I need to pause before I make my next move. Literally something as simple as that. Just building the self-awareness of like, one second. I'm a little stressed out right now. I probably should not be making a decision. Let me pause. Let me go back to my grounding techniques or my breathing strategies or whatever it is. Bring myself back to calm before I make this decision. Okay, so self-awareness. Number two, time management. What happens a lot of times is we make hasty decisions um, 
in the last minute because we have not effectively managed our time. And so we have all of these things that we have to decide under massive distress. Um, and we do not make good decisions under distress. So time management, right? Teaching your staff how to effectively manage their time and prioritize tasks so they are not making rush decisions due to time constraints. What happens a lot of times, this happens very often before parent-teacher conferences, um, where staff have to kind of prepare all these reports or put things together, and they don't effectively manage their time to put this all together. And so they're left like under massive stress, trying to make really important decisions about the child or how to lead the conference under massive distress. And it's, it's very poor. It's very, very poor. So helping your staff before big events, like parent conferences, like when reports are due or whatever it is, to effectively manage and create time on their calendars to make these big decisions. Now, this is especially true with your leadership team, if you're leading directors, administrative enrollments, whatever leaders you're, you're leading, having them have time blocks on their calendar to make important decisions. So when my husband and I have to make specific decisions about our kids or about something that's going on in our family, we have a time block on the calendar that says we are going to discuss this decision. Um, because what happens is, is that if we don't have a specific time, we end up discussing it in middle of a bunch of other stuff, like while we're making dinner or, I don't know, doing bath time. And um, that's not a good time to make really important decisions in the family. Okay. How else do we make better decisions in the heat of the moment? Role-playing and simulations conducting role-playing exercises or simulations of stressful events and scenarios help us practice wise decision-making in a calm, safe environment. So having your toddler teachers get together and talk about the typical scenarios that happen throughout the day and having them role-play with each other, how they can handle specific situations, and then also do simulations of it. Because the brain doesn't understand the difference between the role-playing and the simulation and the real event. So the more that you do role-playing, right, that's what training is, right? Like, why do soldiers train? for combat. There isn't combat every day, right? Why do Olympians train every single day? The Olympics are once every 40 years. Why? They are training for that big event. In childcare, you need to constantly be training your muscles. And I think that we have kind of created the term training as like sitting in a room around a round table and like having a PowerPoint slide deck and someone talking to us. Um, when training, when I do leadership training and development, we're doing role-playing. Like everyone is getting up. I'm doing role-playing. I'm doing simulations with them. We are having difficult conversations. People are like sweating. They are so uncomfortable and I love it. I love it. Great. Be uncomfortable here. Sweat with me here. Cry with me here. Let's do it again, 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 because when you're in the classroom, you're going to be an Olympian. You're going to be a champion. Do it here with me. Right? So that is the power of role-playing and simulations as part of your resiliency toolkit. So my last strategy is debriefing sessions or check-ins that you want to be having with your staff on how their resiliency toolkit is working, right? How are you leveraging the strategies inside of your toolkit? Are you using them? Do you need to update them? Do you have new kids in the classroom now and you need to upgrade your toolkit, right? The toolkit is not a set it and forget it. 
it's not a thermostat, right? We set it to 72. Okay, now it's good for the next, I don't know, eight hours. No, resiliency toolkit needs to be revisited. It needs to be revisited with check-ins. So there's different kinds of check-ins, right? You're going to encourage your staff to have check-ins with each other, checking in with one another. Like, how did that week go? Like when I was stressed out, when we were going, you know, the transition to outside and we were getting everyone's coats on, I actually had a moment of overwhelm and this is how I dealt with it. Like, how was that for you? Like, were like, did that stress you out when I was responding that way? Having grown up emotionally mature conversations with each other, right? And then you with your leadership team and modeling your team how to do this with staff. Those feedback loops are critical for your staff building a really, really well-versed emotional and resiliency toolkit. So I want to close off here again. There's, there's tons and tons of ideas, but the main thing is I want you to sit down with yourself and your team and think about how am I going to personalize and make them very specific, these stress and resiliency toolkits? How am I going to guide the staff through self-awareness exercises, through them identifying their specific triggers and stressors so that they can learn how this affects their emotional well-being, right? Another great strategy to add to the resiliency toolkit is wellness initiatives, which is what are you doing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to take care of yourself? One of the ways that we combat stress and overwhelm is by taking part in pleasure and joy activities that make us happy. And so having each staff member design what is going to be their wellness initiative, their happiness initiatives, how they're going to be responsible for their own happiness, their own pleasure, their own joy, their own rest and restoration. And those have to be upgraded based on season of life, right? Someone who is in one particular season of life is going to have a very different resiliency toolkit than someone else. So having all of these things, this process really enables every single individual on your team to craft a tailored toolkit to their unique needs and their unique preferences, really ensuring that it's very genuinely effective for the challenging situations that they're going to be going through, right? And let's end with this, okay? This is not, you know, a one answer bullet activity to like, now there's not going to be any stress or overwhelm. Distress tolerance and overwhelm are going to be a constant inside of your organization. But this toolkit really ensures that the center is prioritizing the mental and emotional well-being of the staff. It is about you investing in building stress and resiliency toolkits that really paves the way for this emotionally nurturing, supportive space for everyone on the team, right? For everyone on the team. So... If you enjoyed today's episode, you want more ideas, you want more strategies, you want more coaching in general, just on distress tolerance, on how to put these things together, and just really navigating how to up-level your performance as a leader, I invite you to apply to our Directors Inner Circle, to our Owners HQ program. Click the link in the show notes. See if you're a right fit. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it get it out into the world, tag us in Schools of Excellence podcast. This is such an important conversation. I want more and more leaders to have access to this. Thanks so much for joining. If you are loving the Schools of Excellence podcast and have gotten any value out of it for your school, I would love if you can do two things for me. One, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. 
And two, can you please leave us a review? Reviews help other school leaders know that this is the place to learn how to build a school of excellence. And I would be so grateful if you can do that for us. Your help and support makes this show to be able to be listened by the thousands of other school leaders all around the world. Thanks so much for listening, for giving us your time and attention each and every week. And I appreciate that you have joined us. Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can click the link in the show notes or go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to optimize your already efficient systems or help you tweak some ones that need a little bit more tweaking to help you enter the 2024-2025 school year with ease, with success, and with calmness. Increase your profitability, reduce your expenses, and more than anything, just help you buy back some of your time. I look forward to seeing you there.